I'm going to hit record there. Um, sorry, I didn't send you over any topics. I was thinking about it and I, sorry, my, my mic's all over here. I was thinking about it and I kept thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? I actually can't think of anything specifically to talk about that I haven't already talked about with people on here. So yeah. um, you can just have an informal chat. And if we get way off topic at any point, I'll edit it out. But um, other than that, we can go Joe Rogan style, which seems to work out pretty well for him. Oh, yeah. We'll just riff. We'll just riff. So how are things going, man? How are you? You're, you're in a new place. You're, you're coaching. Uh, looks like you're fairly busy, keeping busy on the socials anyway, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I moved to a nice gym in Glenageary. Very nice gym. Uh, when was that? The some sometime around October. Um, I think it would have been like mid October or so. So yeah, I've been working on a CrossFit gym for years, um, and like for a long time, I would have taken classes in there while I was doing my masters, and um, it was a nice bit of coaching experience because you're coaching huge amounts of people um throughout the course of the week but you know realized that personal training was what i wanted to do um and so the nice thing about the gym that i've moved to now is that it's very well set up for personal training you know a lot of crossfit gyms or even a lot of gyms that use that kind of class-based model aren't well set up for personal training because you're constantly colliding with people who are doing classes and it's messy and it's loud Whereas this place has its own floor that's just dedicated to personal training. So it means I can train clients up there and it's either just me and them or maybe two or three other people who are also doing personal training with another PT. Um, and there's loads of space and it's nice and quiet. So I'm really loving this. And thankfully, all my clients were really loyal to me and they, they stuck with me and made the move over. Very nice. Very nice. It's, it, it's uh, maybe it's a, a city thing or uh, a Dublin thing to to have that whole floor dedicated. I think I only know uh, here in the Midlands. I know only one facility that would actually have uh, a whole section of their gym dedicated. So, you know, that's. that's oh, to be honest, that's... I had never heard of that before either. I think I just got extremely lucky. I called yeah, around no, very... a, a huge amount of gyms. Um, basically, every gym that I could find on Google Maps uh, that was kind of within the five k plus vicinity of um where i was training people before and it was bleak like a lot of them had closed down um i'm guessing partially due to covid and all of that stuff so uh, and a lot of the ones that i did find were like yeah you can train people here during the afternoon when classes aren't on and i was like yeah that, that's not a lot of time so i was very lucky to find somewhere that didn't have that issue um what about you where, where are you operating out of at the moment Oh, I'm doing so many operations. <laughs> um, so I'm with a, I'm in a legend at the moment in uh, Tullamore, um, which is fine. It's grand. Um, keeps me busy. The main reason I took it on was because I re I realized general pop was probably the area that I was weakest in in terms of actually experience uh, and contact time. Um, Sorry, what's the, what's the name of the place? What did you say? Oh, it's uh, it's Aura Leisure Center. Um, or, okay, I, think or they, I, I think there's like a few there's there's a couple spotted around like they, they run a grand operation yeah. uh, for the, the personal game uh, for myself was again to get that experience with general pop hands on as well and you know yourself coming out of the pandemic business can be slow straight off the bat so um, I am yeah. I 
you you might notice I'm in a little bit of a different setup. Um, bought a bought a house with a uh, with my partner. Wow, and, um, congrats! Yeah, no, no, it's been nice. We got, we moved in in a couple of months. Um, so obviously a lot more bills and everything to 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 take on board. So, yep. um, have you bought a ride on lawnmower yet? Uh, no, no, bought a dog instead. Um, ah, way better investment. <laughs> way better. Way better investment. Um, but I've been enjoying it now. I'm there nearly, I think, six months, and like that. Um, even though I had experience before general pop, I I made the quick move to um athletes and and kind of sub elite athletes, things like that, mm. and uh, work with them and it's a different kettle of fish like uh, look, oh, yeah. the body is going the body is the same but at the end of the day i come to an athlete who's been training you know five six years in a performance kind of viewpoint and and that's been their goal they know what a squat is they know how to squat for the most part they know what deadlifts are they have an understanding of uh fundamentals of training yeah you get you know uh, someone who has never stepped foot in the gym, which, you know, really, really regular there, they might be in their mid forties, early fifties. And, you know, you ask them what the training history is and like, never in a gym before, never. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just throwing you into the deep end of like, right, we have to start off here with the fundamentals, mm-hmm. um, correct anything that might happen over the last 50 years of life. And, um, just see basically, can we make exercise enjoyable? Um, I've kind of taken a motto on board or my own little slogan because one of the most popular questions that seems to come up is like, what's the what's the ideal amount of training that I can do or what's the ideal training I could do? Yeah, very common. And extremely common. And um, the 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 saying that I always refer back to is the best exercise that we can do is the exercise we actually end up doing. And yeah, for that, um, I just say, to look, if you can only do two days, make sure we can nail down those two days. And if you like circuits, we'll do circuits. You know, if you like just cardio machines, we'll just do cardio machines and try to introduce a little bit of like resistance training as well. Mm. Um, because at my heart, I'm an SNC. I, I, I can't let the resistance training go unnoticed. Yeah. Um, but it's been a big learning curve. Um, and again, I think uh, coming fresh out of the pandemic, it was needed. Um, I, I, I definitely got a little bit comfortable um, in, in, in the knowledge that I, I had and I needed to throw myself into an environment that was like, right, let's let's learn a few things here, like learning how to do mm. aqua aerobics and spin classes and all those fun, joyous uh, things. Hey, to, you're you're uh, very adventurous and open-minded. I don't think I'd be able for that. Yeah, no, I love aqua aerobics. I'll tell you one thing, uh, aqua aerobics is 80% a concert, 10% exercise and 10% a social <laughs> event um yeah. and then uh spin sounds like spin. most powerlifting meets yeah yeah it's a <laughs> very very similar um, seven hours of standing around for you know 30 seconds of lifting and then some heavy metal in, in between yeah it's it, look it's not too dissimilar to, to bodybuilding either um, yeah chilling around and <laughs> in skimpy suits and off you go on stage for 10 minutes come off yeah congratulations um that's but, great it's, it's kind of challenging and um you, you know, honing your skill set in a new way. I found that I became a lot better at coaching when I was training beginners. Uh, because as you say, like athletes are, are good athletes because they pick stuff up quickly and they don't need an awful lot of coaching mm-hmm. sometimes, like certainly not compared to someone who's a beginner. Um, 
and uh i found that was that took a really long time for me to adjust to i remember i came straight from working in the high performance gym in ucd with people who were on sports scholarships and stuff like that and uh i got a job well not so much a job i volunteered to get some experience in a local tennis club and so it was all i think the youngest person that i was training would have been 40 odd and then the oldest mm. was in their early 70s and none of these people had done any kind of resistance training before um they had pretty much just played tennis or maybe a few other things like golf or stuff like that to stay active and trying to explain to a middle-aged woman who's never done anything like that what a squat is for the first time and like breaking down you know what it means to push your hips back and what it means mm. to to uh try to kind of keep like a, a tight back and stuff like that it was stuff that i'd never really considered having to properly verbalize before um so it's a really really good skill set to develop because that makes training people who are more advanced even easier then because you have a, a better understanding i find yeah. anyway all, all all those uh UKSEA workshops go out the window when you're when you're training someone who is like yeah push your hips back what do you mean you know yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> I, I I've found as well that for for a lot of people the squat is fine they hip hinge just getting people into that kind of RDL position yeah um yeah, very difficult is oh because it's not something we do in a day-to-day -day, and yeah. especially you know it's women will get it a, a lot sooner and then for lads it's I, I find that the hips will go back and then it's just instantly into a squat yeah. and um it's it's uh working on that and like i have um, a client for my own business uh galaxy coaching um and, uh, <laughs> get the plugs in now uh, get the plugs in there's many more to come um that uh we worked on his hinge for the best part of probably three months um and just not even directly like you know taking a whole hour to be like let's go let's go whatever just during his sessions making small changes small tweaks yeah. um and each week just getting a little bit incrementally better um and now he's you know rdl rdl the other day was um 100 kilos for i think eight or eight or ten reps something like that nice and um yeah and, and again this is someone who before um june may june uh this year would have done very little gym in resistance training at all you know yeah. um so it does once the thing i always say about you know form as well is like the form exists for a reason um and it's generally like the most efficient way to move the weight or uh, and yeah. the safest way to move the weight so once you lock that down those those ridiculous like strength gains that you hear well I, I don't even really consider it a massive ridiculously uh strength strength um progression but it comes from someone maybe tweaking their form or making those little changes um a lot of the time like even with my own rdl it was going back reviewing the form and making changes to have another strength increase because mm. There was things overcompensating. My back was coming into it too much. I was losing losing tightness in the core, and it that affects the movement and how the weight then moves. And it's looking, especially it's having someone look at it and be like, "Right, you need to make this change here, or try this, add this in." And um, yeah, no, it, it it works really, really well. Then at the end of the day, you know, um, yeah. that that's that's exercise. You know, it's not just lift the weight. Um, it's how we do it. 
yeah and like i'd agree that that form exists for a reason in that like if you look at um well if we're talking about lifting like high performers and lifting they all there's kind of like universal things that everybody does and then there's variations from that whether that's because of different people's anatomy or what what feels strongest for them but you know everybody that you see doing a squat above like i don't know the two at least 200 kilo mark i'd say maybe 250 or whatever they're gonna have their feet on the ground they're going to be you know sitting into their hips keeping a relatively tight back position um and then outside of that you'll see some people will take wider or narrower hand grips some people go wider or narrower with the feet some people have their feet straight ahead some people will twist them out a little bit um and then i think it kind of comes down to what what feels strongest for the person and also what the goal is so i I would assume like for you because like when i approach um say an rdl that for me like because i'm trying to get my deadlift to go up um i'm kind of thinking about that more from like a a movement carryover point of view to the deadlift Mm. and then the muscle activation part of it would kind of come second whereas for you if you're training for bodybuilding you're probably looking more at an exercise in terms of what muscles is this going to use and targets and so if you're if you're doing that exercise and you're not really feeling like it's it's working those muscles and maybe your back is starting to take over um then you need to look look at form from like another point of view would that be right to say for the way you structure your training yeah yeah that's like and again that's that's my training like when i go into an rdl or even a bench press my goal is to um and again this this is 10 years of you know 10 plus years of training my goal is to in that bottom position of an rdl to feel my glutes squeeze and push forward push through the hips um feel those hamstrings uh work to push the weight um and pull it up if i don't feel like if i don't feel like i'm getting that something's gone wrong you know, I, I've gone too fast through the movement and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's not a case of one is better than the other. Like you said, it's dependent on your goal. When I would l- look at the um, the international netball squads, um, so I'm still doing the strength and conditioning for, for netball Ireland. And with them, it's all about, you know, strength and power development. There is a little bit of hypertrophy involved as well. Of course, um, with any sport, you'd love for your, your athletes to get a little bit bigger. Well, mm-hmm. like that, it's it's a, the crossover to the sport. So a lot of it's more uh, focused on, right, let's move the weight. Let's move it in a safe manner, but let's move the weight. And can we move more weight next week or the, next month? Yeah. And yeah, and and then there comes a phase of, can we move the same amount of weight, but just faster? And um, there you go. There's your whole four years of S&C. <laughs> it's a lot more simple than we sometimes uh, like to think it is, but... We'd, I agree with that. We'd, we'd love it to be overly complicated, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's a it's a it's a lot of training, a lot of learning to um, to nail down basics, and um, it, that's that's where you come back in. It's like you have all these fancy things like uh, French contrast training, all these things, and they're fantastic to include um, from from time to time. But at the end of the day, like I've been with that ball iron for I think two years in February, and um, all of it has been, you know, just fundamental strength, power training, mm. um, with with 
little bits of uh, hypertrophy phases in there as well. Yeah. Because that's that's what's working, you know. And if it's working, there's no reason to needlessly change it up and make it more complex for the sake of complexity. Absolutely. You don't don't mess with the winning formula when you have us. And uh, mm. I think that's the the longer that I've been training and uh, looking at research and it's it seems like for training for sports when it comes to your snc the most important thing is the key performance indicators or kpis sometimes they're they're called so for most sports that's going to be uh, sorry for anybody listening key performance indicators or what are the uh physical tasks or attributes that if you increase are most likely to boost your performance on the pitch or on the field or whatever so for most sports, that's going to be things like your sprint speed, your jump height, um, things that are kind of proxies for for power and, and speed. Um, because like I train for powerlifting, it doesn't matter how slowly I lift a one rep max deadlift as long as the thing comes up off the floor. Whereas when you're on, say, a rugby pitch, you have a very limited amount of time to apply force. So being able to apply loads of force over four or five seconds might be useful in a scrum but not if you need to like beat someone in a sidestep anyway tangents in there but as you were saying if you're getting those kpis to go up um and you're doing that with a nice simple training program there there can be sometimes an argument to be said that it would be taken away from time that could be spent just making what you're doing more efficient or or a higher quality than trying to jump to, to trying to do something else then or make it more complicated. Yeah, like when it when I look at the the overall plan, so like so like any um well like most SNCs, you have your macro cycling, you have your view put out um for for the upcoming months or, or year. Um and when I look at that, um, I take into account then obviously our, our, our KPIs. And for each athlete, um, they would all have their kind of fundamental, like, yeah, these are all shared KPIs. And then after that, we, I would have little kind of personal goals or, or markers set for that athlete as well um, that I can kind of like get a good indicator of how much work has been done yeah. and, and so on. If someone comes to me and wants to work on something in particular, I'll take it into account. But if it contradicts what we're trying to do elsewhere, I'll explain that to them. Yeah. When it comes to my decision on exercise, how we structure training, things like that, I do take into account um, what we've done previously. And if things are getting uh, monotonous, and that's probably a little bit of sport, sport psyche in me, um, I will change up things just for mm -hmm. the sake of changing up. Yeah. Um, because there's only like, I don't mind the bodybuilding side of things. I'll, I've done the same leg workout for six years. I'll continue to do it for another six. Yeah, yeah. But not everyone wants to do that. So I will change things up from time to time just for that. But a lot of the compounds are going to stay the same. It's going to always be some sort of squat movement or lower body strength movement. It's going to be a, a pull of some sort from the floor. Mm -hmm. Um they're going to stay in there, but I might change it from, from one, one time we might do um, a deadlift for our pull from the floor, right? Real big, heavy movement focus. Um, and then we might just do a pendulum rope on the next phase. And it's like, 
different different um, subjects, but we're still getting a pull from the floor, and it's just changing things up, um, increasing the experience and the exposure of exercise to the athletes, and just making them, you know, giving them a little bit of further education on exercise as a whole. But yeah. like like you were saying there, if if we're coming up close to a competition and things are going well, things are slowly increasing, and now I want to start tapering off. That taper is not complex for the sake of complexity. Usually it's very, very basic, very simple um, because you're not going to start throwing in all these training modalities that you've never done before coming close to competition. That's, you know, for that time for messing around is, is pre-season testing things out. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you're, when you're in season, it's, it's all, yep. Going back to what we know best. Here's the mm-hmm. safe movements that we're well equipped for. Um, and there's, there's there's no messing about in that sense um yeah that's yeah. I, I hope that kind of fleshes out that a little bit more definitely i 100 agree like i i would be very against the idea of making any significant changes to any aspect of training whether it's training nutrition sleep whatever as the two minutes to midnight mark like right before yeah. you actually need to be on your a game even if somebody had like a pretty atrocious diet um and for whatever reason they came to me like a week before they were about to to do like a major competition probably wouldn't change anything because you could run the risk of like a digestive issue popping up or something like that and you're not going to make like a, a massive change to somebody's health in that that um space of time anyway i actually was thinking about something there that's um an idea i wanted to bounce off you that you kind of touched on there which is the whole idea of variety and variation and and why it works and if i i think maybe it, it doesn't really work for the reasons why we think it does um so for people listening variety or variation is just changing some of the parameters in training it could be the intensity it could be the volume it could be the exercise altogether could be things like the number of days that you train per week or whatever. But I think when most people talk about variety or variation, they're, they're talking about changing exercises usually. Um, and I think that a large reason why uh, people see improvements is for that psychological aspect you talk about, like the, the monotony of training doesn't suit everybody. And for me, I feel like I'm definitely on the opposite end of that spectrum where I thrive under a huge amount of specificity, a huge amount of monotony, doing the same exercises over and over again, getting really good practice with the technique um, and being able to just solely focus on improving my performance. And then I will do variety by way of adjusting the intensity and volume. So if I've been doing sets of five on the squat for a couple of months and i feel like i'm kind of starting to hit a plateau then i'll back off down to doing more higher volume work on sets of 10 and then when that starts to hit a peak then i'll move back to some higher intensity stuff um but i think that the reason why some people uh get a boost from say going from squats to say safety bar squats or front squats maybe the odd time it's because it addresses like a, a weakness or something they have but i think a large part of the time is it actually gives them a mental break from pushing on the same exercise over and over again uh and they get to try something different and kind of maybe puts a bit more enjoyment and enthusiasm into the training and gives them permission to push harder again um what are your thoughts on that 
Yeah, so like you were, like you said there at the start, and um, when it comes to any any program that I do, there's there's four things that I could potentially change. Um, that would be the intensity, the volume, the frequency, or the complexity. Um, most of the time you're going to fluctuate between intensity and volume. Mm. Um, frequency, maybe from time to time, just maybe adding an extra day in there. Um, complexity, um, is is the one that you can throw in really for a psychological benefit and um, more so than anything. So making something a little bit more challenging or, or making it e- easier. Um, and like take that, for example, you change your your main compound movement from a squat to a rear foot elevated split squat. You're still going mm-hmm. within the same rep range. You're loading up similarly with dumbbells now. Um, and you you just, you test the waters there for, the, for, for a while. And, like you say there, I, I think the biggest part is it just breaks the monotony of training up. Yeah. Again, I'd be very similar to yourself in the sense that, you know, like I said, I've done the same leg, leg workout for the last six years. I can name those exercises off. Um, my first three movements of my upper or my push or pull days all have remained the same yeah. um, because I'm just and I, I, I find it like and this is not blown smoke or anything, but I find it just to be a machine mentality of I can just go in, I understand my training, yeah. and I just want to do that particular training. And it's less and to think about, it, I think, as well. Like, when you yeah, just have the same plan, you know. And and that means that the the creative side of things for me generally comes from either coaching other people where I get to do like yeah. what I consider the fun stuff, like oh, oh we'll we'll do an AMRAP here or a couple of exercises, or mm. we'll do some circuits, stuff like that. But for me, like when it, when it comes to if I want to include like Olympic lifting derivatives into my training, um, I'll wait for an appropriate point to swap things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't just go in for like a one week randomly and just be like, Grand, so we're going to include this uh, yeah. in there. And and again, it's probably off season for you when you try stuff like that. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I'm I'm coming up to starting a prep um kind of mid-January and so like I'm getting everything out of my blood right now of like right do I want to test anything out and try it out because realistically those you know do a couple of Zumba classes during the week yeah like you know I I I played around with when I was teaching this the spin classes um instructing the spin classes I played around with actually doing the spin classes I think uh myself and my colleague there um I think we might be the only two spin instructors in Ireland that actually don't do the spin class. And we, walk, <laughs> we we walk around. Oh yeah. And, so uh, hold on, you're not you're not actually doing this while you're coaching the people. No, I thought that was no, like a, it, it's, a standard thing that you have to no, do. No, it's um, it's it's working really really well. So here's a little bit of a tangent. And um, for anyone, anyone, it's almost like if you're there, not exercising, you have more um mental capacity to, oh, to go to coach. Yeah. People. Who who knew? Um, <laughs> imagine uh, imagine. Imagine lifting with every single client you had every single day. Yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> just training someone for a powerlifting meet and the next week and it's like, grand, so yeah, 90%, yeah, I'm going to hop under the bar as well for a single, yeah. savage. Um, but what we're, like when, when it comes to the spin, I'd, I'd hop up periodically on the bike, but like yeah. for 30 seconds, like I'm, I'm, I'm dressed in tracksuit bottoms and a hoodie, mm. you know, I'm not there 
um, to partake. I'm there to coach, to instruct. So I'm yeah. walking around. I'm we're fortunate enough to have these um, these these nice Kaiser bikes. They have the screen on them that show the gears and the RPMs. So it's really intuitive to just go like, right, we're at 80 RPM here or 100 RPM. Bring those gears mm. up, and you can just go around and and give people that the, a little bit more time and specificity that they would need. And it's, we're finding that it's a really successful model for spin. Like our spin classes are full. Now spin classes are probably full regardless, but people are pushing themselves and, and are coming mm-hmm. up after class and being like, that's the toughest class yet. And I'm like, it's not the toughest class yet. You're just getting fitter. You're getting better. And mm-hmm. you're able to push yourself that little bit more. It's like the first time um, you're, your client um experiences uh the Golgoy tendon of their body just boom or, or you know switches off and then they're able to push themselves a little bit further then after that because your body begins to learn okay we can inhibit that a little bit more because this person hasn't ruined themselves previously so yeah we can let them push themselves a little bit further and that's what's ex- being experienced now in spin is because you're not like listening to me at the top of the room being like okay and then uh, five more yeah it's like i realize i have no cardiovascular system i'm gonna <laughs> instead walk around and and coach and we've done that model for um all of our classes like even including um we have a pump class which is meant to be styled after les mills pump um we body, we body pump uh, is that what it's called body pump yeah we'll, we'll say no more about it um <laughs> but uh i so i, I sexual teach, undertones uh, <laughs> <laughs> i i uh i i teach that as um just like an amrap class of like you know a couple of minutes yeah. on a couple of minutes off and um again works <clears throat> works pretty successfully i think the les mills um, model is to stay on like shoulders for five minutes and then switch to arms for five minutes and then chest for five minutes and back for five minutes legs for five minutes no breaks in between any of that and it's just wow that goes against a lot of the things that i believe in yeah. and, and, I've, and i've learned um so instead I'm, I'm going into a class and i'm just like look you know take some rest if you want push yourself as hard as you can like really chill and it's this foreign uh, concept when it comes to classes of an instructor being like yeah, look, if you need to take some rest, take some rest. It's okay. I'm not going to shout at you. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, because um, like you want them there next week, you know? I always say at the end of a class, yes, you should feel like you should do work, but you should be able to come back tomorrow or the next yeah. day. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's people coming up to me and saying, oh, I did a class with XYZ and I wasn't able to walk, walk for three days. And I was like, that's that's the sign of a bad class. That mm-hmm. was, um, that was you you got pushed and continuously pushed point uh, past the point of fatigue that your body can't adequately recover days after. Um, mm-hmm. Like that that screams to me that someone was just like, saw you were doing, like you f- saw you were getting fatigued and then just said, do more, do more because yeah. they didn't, they didn't know what to do in that sense. And again, yeah. you, if, if we, if we begin talking about it too much, we'll start on the rant of the, the fitness industry and, and the current state of it and all that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we, yeah. I think we always end up there at some point inevitably but yeah <laughs> to uh to tangent of something you were saying there like the rest period thing is interesting because um mm-hmm. i i'm the same I, I don't really uh i don't use specific rest periods with people when i'm having yeah. them do cardio or circuit or anything like that because to me i'm more uh more interested in like the the total amount of work that's done uh because i i tend to 
because I have an hour with people and a large chunk of that is done on just strength training where there's no uh, focus on rest periods in particular, as long as they, they feel fresh and ready to go. I don't mind if it's two minutes, two and a half minutes, three minutes, whatever between sets. But, um, but that already takes up a pretty big chunk of the session. So by the time I'm getting to the end and considering doing conditioning work, I, I like to, if I can, try to combine the conditioning and the sort of hypertrophy side of things. So um, I'll, I'll do like a circuit that involves like, you know, chin-ups, push-ups, and say like the assault bike. So they're still getting the conditioning elements and they're not going to be so knackered that it would affect something like a squat, but you can get away with doing something like a chin-up or a push-up where your heart rate's a little bit high. Um, and I've started using the, the prowler a lot now because that's great for building up strength in the legs and cardiovascular fitness at the same time. But I'll say to people like, look, Say, for instance, on the prowler, um, I'm not entirely sure what the distance is in the gym that I'm at, but I basically just count the length as a rep. So up and down is two reps. I'll say last time you got four by two, so eight total reps or eight total lengths. As long as we get nine today, you've gotten fitter as far as I'm concerned because your heart is working while you're pushing that prowler. Um, yeah, as people get fitter, you can start looking at improving that fitness by way of reducing the rest periods but for most people like anybody who's doing one of those classes is definitely a beginner um the total amount of work that they get in over the course of a week a month and eventually a year then is what's going to dictate um them them getting fitter and improving them health their health i think really specific rest period stuff is more for people who are kind of if they're not athletes, they're at least people who have been training long enough to where they have to start trying to, to wiggle in progressive overload of their conditioning and in, in small ways, like shorter rest periods or um, maybe like an extra day of training or something like that. Uh, I think anyway. So when it, uh, we should probably preface this as well. When we discuss beginner Beginners like one to maybe three years of like. Well, it's a it's a nebulous and, term. Like it, it's yeah. There's it's, so many different ways it that you can um, be a beginner. You can have that, ten yeah. years of you can have ten years of training under your belt and still be a beginner because you've never had yeah. structure or frame. That's a rough conversation to, to have with somebody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've been in the gym for ten years. Oh, grand. Okay, so if I went outside and was like, show me a spot, would you know what to do? Uh, yeah yeah i would okay maybe maybe you're not as uh, like this elite experienced person that you you, you yeah. yourself up to be um but it, it, it can cover a broad range um so like say in in the likes of a spin class you'll have people there who are coming from um uh like cycling clubs um who are maybe triathlon athletes had one um gent in who had just finished uh, an ironman and he's just looking at kind of changing his pace up and trying different training modalities, things like that. Yeah. And then you have your diehard spin. And there was this big kind of aura around spin as it's like, is that not really tough? Do you not have to build your fitness up to get there? Mm. And again, I think it's a good sign of a class if, if you're able to um, self-regulate it or regulate it to your, your own standard. So there in, in a spin class, I'd never turn around and say to anybody, you need to be at gear 18, you need to be at gear 20, because yeah. that means someone over here who 
cycles year round is tipping away while beginner over in the corner there is bet to the ground and so what we do what i do at the start is i set a recovery gear a gear that we come back and keep at a nice pace and all the work is based off of that and it's similar then uh in all the classes it's like this is your class it's your 40 45 minutes you push yourself as hard as you can don't you know just like a regular training you wouldn't look at somebody doing leg extension doing the whole stack and then go grand yeah i'll try that i'll give that a shot um but there can be that little bit of a a culture in in classes from time to time of like that person is you know keeping the gears higher or is putting more weight on maybe i'll do that uh, as well but it's 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 still you know a workout at the end of the day um when it comes I guess to the the rest periods and stuff like that, like it's difficult. You have to be um, creative because again, a lot of the people who are coming to the classes are used to classes being uh, tons and tons of work, bury you into the ground and then goodbye, won't see you for a couple of days kind of gig. Mm. So kind of try and make it rule enough. Like again, I stick... I work in rest, uh, work to rest ratios best because you have 40, 45 minutes. So I structure the whole class out uh, and have it there. But I always make sure to be like, if you need to take an extra second or two to like recompose yourself, that's perfectly fine. It's, you know, yeah. just get to get back into the game then. Um, so like if we're doing sprint efforts or like Tabata, for example, um, in, in spin, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. That's pretty meaty. Like, that's a two-to-one work rest ratio. Mm. Um, uh, that That's heavy enough for, for some people, um, for a lot of people. Um, so, like, if you if you need to take, if you're six efforts in, I need to take two two more seconds, three more seconds, it's fine. I'm not going to shout in your face. I think yeah. it's it, it's a, it screams a lot about um, an instructor if, if you have to pause for two or three seconds and they get up in your face and are you know like you know just get them all work done get that it, it really screams like that's what they think the like a, a good effort is rather than i always point out like it should be okay you you peak then you fatigue down during your effort then you recover you're not going to peak back up as high again but you're constantly just tipping tipping down rather than just having up 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 and then down and you're just holding that bottom fatigue position for the next 30 minutes and realistically like what what's the quality of work in that in that position um and is it better to keep you there or to just give you an extra minute of rest and have you back at 100 percent again yeah and a lot of people want that from a coach they want the the cheerleader shouting at you um yeah just constantly shouting and almost like a navy seal type scenario one one major oh, yeah. drawback i see to that is that you're gonna kind of be dependent on them then to motivate you and uh push you all the time i think like yeah. really that that's something that you should be doing for yourself um because if you if you find yourself at a time then when you can't go down to that class or whatever uh, you might find you haven't really developed like the mental skill set of, of pushing yourself through times where training feels a little bit uncomfortable and stuff like that. So, um, I think I might have spoke about it maybe the last time I was on, but um, I do I, I periodize my 
um music during training very weird but um <laughs> I, I i enjoy it so there'll be um a couple of weeks a year that i'll train without any music on uh, if i go to a gym and there's music playing i'll put my headphones on but just not put on anything on right. um i'll listen to classical uh, from time to time mm-hmm. over lockdown i got really big into that kind of slow acoustic you know training to the lumineers things like that um I, I, I was fortunate enough, I did my um, my battery, the effect of music on, on strength training, uh, particularly the three rep max on the bench press. And the biggest finding from it was, it, it's not the music per se, but it's the relationship you have with the music. So yeah, I was, was going to say, I would have thought one major problem with controlling that study would be just the wide variety of taste people have in music. Yeah. Yeah, like me, it was, it, I love training to music, and I think that the right music could definitely and has boosted my performance. But the wrong music would almost have like a negative impact on my performance yep. compared to detrimental. Yes, you know, that's it. Like it was, it was a, it was a comparative study of basically just like regular, um, three rep max test, um, a white noise test, and then uh, self-selected music. Um, and like, so like looking at the genres of people, what people were picking, you know, it was a lot of heavy metal rock or, you know, dance tunes, trans tunes, things like that. Um, and I, I like, again, standard, standard of music selection. Um, but it's almost uh, shocking to people when I say like, look, it's, it's, it's not about the music. It's not about the BPM. It's about, it's about the relationship to the music. And that's why you can have these really powerful songs um, for training that are like, you know, 90 to 100 bpm and you can have that in a spin class where you know the recommended guidelines are 140 to 160 bpm and you're like well that's grand but i don't want to listen to like a shitty rendition of ed sheeran behind like some dance track um at 140 bpm i'd like to listen to like just a regular old ed sheeran and do sprints to it um but part part of that there is and i guess to bring it back is similarly enough what i find is is the person's relationship with the coach with the style of training that they're going to do that will affect a lot of the motivation that they have for doing it mm-hmm. um obviously the first time you do a training modality you're probably heavily dependent on someone bringing you through it or having a kind of staple motivation uh, tool in the back pocket so like music to get you through that first session because you're not going to have very high efficacy and um, confidence in trying that particular uh, movement so like say if, if i was to take you to an olympic weightlifting class if i was just to leave you in the corner and nobody was to give you actual instruction or it was just someone coming over periodically and going great job well done um you're you're probably not very bought into that unless you have some natural talent to it um, and and um, you're getting like a real feel for it. For most people, that first training session will require um, some sort of staple motivation. That can be their goal. Generally, their goal will fade as soon as they start to get fatigued yeah. uh, that first time. Um, so they'll rely heavily on the instructor, the trainer, the coach, um, and then that kind of like external source of music as well. Mm-hmm. And then when they get more and more experienced, it's going to be a case of like I I'll occasionally very rarely I'll do a spin class and I'll just have no music 
and um, it's <laughs> it's a very daunting yeah, thing. React to that. Uh, I say to use the fire inside, and that's it. Um, they they'll do it because it's my class. Um, at the end, of the day, uh, that sounds very authoritarian. Um, but you'll do you'll do one or two efforts with just little to no music, and um, you just see basically how how people are going, and it gives an indicator as well of how people are progressing. Um, because if, if someone's able to like dig deep internally, um, that that's likely that that's the individual that's going to have a high exercise retention rate because they're able to just knuckle down get the work done they're not relying on an external stimulus to get that first ignition going that they're able to just kick into gear get going straight away um and you probably noticed that yourself as well you'd be doing a training and it still happens again like again years training I'm waiting there ages for like that part of the course to start or the beat to drop because I'm just like, fuck this session. I need something just to kickstart me again. And then some days you go in and it's like the playlist is just on the background and you're just going when you feel yeah. great. You're going when you're going. And that in, that all plays again. Like it, it is going to be up and down like you're training. Um, there's going to be some weeks where you just go in feeling fantastic, really, really motivated and everything. And some weeks you're not. But like I say, and if you can play with those kind of external motivating factors, for me, it's music. Um, you can begin to train yourself mentally um, to kind of key into that internal um, ignition and, and, and get just into the movement uh, whenever you really want to. Yeah, I, I would say you, you hear people say a lot that you shouldn't um rely on music when you're training because then mm. if it's not there you're not gonna be able to motivate yourself i haven't found that to be true for myself mm. anyway um for me like music is almost like a supplement like if i take it i notice a difference but i can still train without it being there mm. um maybe i would get like an extra couple percentage of of effort into something if it's if it feels right and it's the right song and it's hitting the course at the perfect time and i'm in the right mood for or whatever but i can also quite happily train in silence um and for the most part unless it's something that i really don't like i can zone out annoying music that i don't like in the mm -hmm. background and train as well um but i can imagine that's an individual thing as well and, and there probably are some people who could become over reliant on us um i've done a few powerlifting meets i i wouldn't really see myself as being the kind of person who would have like headphones on before i go up for a lift to get the right i just find like if you put yourself into that mindset that you need to have the right socks on the right song playing etc it it sets you up to be in a very fragile mindset in terms of like if shit happens and you know maybe you're just at the perfect amount and for people listening this word i'm about to say is not what you think but arousal uh for mm -hmm. performance um and arousal meaning like you're uh basically like you're 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 mentally peaked to uh to push as, as hard as possible without it impacting your your technique or um your composure or whatever um but like I could just imagine a scenario where like you have all of the perfect stuff lined up and then somebody misloads the bar or something or there's a mm -hmm. technical error and you have to stand there waiting for an extra couple of minutes and then you're kind of starting to come down a little bit from that. 
Um, but I find with music that doesn't doesn't really happen to me. I can use this when I need to, but if it's not there, it's not like a major issue for me, you know. What you what you're talking there, and there's the fine line between is routine and superstition. So r- yeah. routine is you know it's fine. Everybody has their routine. Maybe you know if you're a GA player, the the morning before a match. You know, you might have the the same kind of food and the, the same nutrition waking up and all all yeah, that. It's fine. Fan of routine and habit now. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, and and that, that's great. Have that routine in place, but it becomes a superstition if you start to decline mentally because you can't have that breakfast on that day because yeah, like that's the placebo effect. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's just it's 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 that case of right. I I lift up my left sock before my right today. I usually do my right before my left. It's going to be one of those days, you know, and it, it, that's it's it's already kind of like setting yourself up now. Everything is going to be viewed with through a lens of I already fucked up that first part of my 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 day. The rest of it is going to fall through as well. And that's that's something again. It got very romanticized I think um in in sport for a while. That kind of like, oh, you know, he he only does, uh, he gets his hair cut 12 hours before a match. And, you know, he does uh, these very precise things. I think uh, was it was a John Terry that used to eat like a massive bowl of pasta three hours or four hours beforehand, things right. like that. And it's like, it's like, yeah, that's probably like a routine. It's probably carb loading and all that. But that doesn't mean everybody should start going out now superstitionally and, you know, having a big spag ball before a, before a soccer game. Um, it's definitely finding what works best for yourself when it comes to routine, but it's also being okay with the fact that like, oh yeah, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Um, I can still go out. I can still perform. I can still play. And again, music is one of those things that, that, that is used, um, right. Everyone will have the song, but I, I remember at like learn, not learn talking with athletes who, you know, regardless of how long the the journey was would listen to the same song over and over and over again because it was this stimulating song it it, you would think that but i was saying like you know what what if it's two hour long journey you know and you're just listening to this same five minute song over and over again and you're like oh it gets me really pumped it's like the likelihood is you're probably very mentally fatigued from overstimulating yourself through yeah. imagery of just going through it going through it going through it and you can see it happen in in training as well that's uh it's it's essentially just psyching yourself out that when you're uh constantly looking for that perfect song or that waiting for that moment you're going through in your head the imagery of doing a movement or going through that portion of training and it can be detrimental um like it's 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 that part of again changing something that could be beneficial it's the right song and everything but because you're taking it that extra little bit of like you know fucking just going over let's listen to it again i'm not feeling yet let's go again let's go again and you take this you know six minute break and you've listened to the same part of the song four times you've probably fairly mentally fatigued and you haven't even done the set yet yeah yeah that, that 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 happens to a lot of people i think they kind of do the match or the competition or the meet before they're even there and yeah it, 
they, they're a little bit drained then by the time it comes around to actually need to perform. Um, I actually, I kind of tried to use that to my advantage yesterday. So I was, uh, I was I meant to be training with some friends in the evening and I'd spent two days in Galway um, and I was on my way back from Galway. And for whatever reason, I just kind of felt like uh, yesterday was the day to try a deadlift max. Like I'd had a really good deadlift session the week beforehand. I did 200 kilos and I got five reps and that was like three more than I'd ever done with 200. And it was one of those sets where like, I knew that I could have done at least two or three more reps, but I wanted to kind of save a little something in the tank for next week. Um, and I've had so many like setbacks with training between injuries and then fucking lockdowns coming in right before my bed to like do a match or something like that, that I was like, I just want to take advantage of this. Yeah. And I could feel like the, the mental readiness for this building as I was driving home. And then I don't know if you know, but yesterday there was a trucker's strike um, yes. on the roads in Dublin. Now, I didn't get caught in the absolute midst of that because if you were, oh my God, you would have been furious. They were driving in second gear down the M50 at about 20 kilometers an hour for hours, all day. Like people were missing hospital appointments, flights, the whole lot. Um, but there was still traffic delays. So I was kind of like racing uh, at a sensible speed to get to mm. to your man's house to to do the lift and i did i got it and it was i think a lot easier than if i had done that on a day where i was a little bit stressed out from work or maybe i'd gotten a little bit of bad sleep and had it in my head that i wasn't going to be totally primed i'd had two days of a really relaxing trip in galway i'd eaten up to my eyeballs and food um, and gotten lots of sleep. And I kind of tried to use that uh, arousal curve to my, to my benefit. Um, so it can be, it can be a positive thing, but I think it takes a lot of experience at messing that up as mm. competitions or matches or whatever. It's, it's definitely a, um, I wouldn't necessarily say like a cherry on top, but it's definitely maybe it's not the it's not the fundamental. It's not it's not the ice cream of the Sunday. It's definitely probably the cream, though. You know, it's not the cherry on the top, but you you still want to address it before you do the finer details. Um, And and like that, like your your, your fundamentals are going to be like when it comes to the mental skill side of things, you know, your 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 self-efficacy, your um, motivation and kind of more bigger bang for buck things and then in in that addressing those bigger um elements you're going to look at the 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 tighter stuff and then get even more um uh, macroed in in on it as well Mm. um so what you're saying there is that there's that kind of whole build up and then surrounding it um it can go one of two ways you know you can be um really again like you were saying that kind of like have the high level arousal but you haven't come on the other side of the curve where you start to experience that kind of level of anxiety um, and that comes again from just being trained and having the ability to go yeah no like it's it's, it's going to be grand like it'll be fine i'll be able to do do it and all that but if you don't have that kind of foundation laid 
you begin to run through the negative part of the scenario of like, you know, I'm after doing all this preparation. What if it doesn't yeah. come through now? You know, what if I injure myself? It's the most common one. And um, you start to, you know, get the, the, the jitters about doing, and it's not just a lift. It can be anything and it can be in a, in a short um, uh, space of time in, in rugby. It'll be the, the kick uh, in, in GAA. It'd be like taking a 45 um, in soccer, taking a penalty. Um, they can, you know, you can have this moment of like fucking feeling great, ready to do it, and then on the if if you push it too far, if you're if you are Icarus, you fly too close to the sun, um, you you come crashing down, and you start to get those negative um aspects to it then as well. So it's just learning to basically manage your 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 own thought process and uh, emotions which again like i said it sounds like it's a fundamental thing but when it comes to it you work on those things in a much larger scale first before getting into a finer detail of like that specific event and it's based on a foundation of lots of days where you just went in and, and trained regardless of how you were feeling so like the yeah. thing i was thinking about yesterday was like after i pulled that pb um I was kind of reminding myself about like that was really built off the back of a lot of days of doing high volume deadlifts for 10 or 15 reps in my mate's garden when it was sometimes pissing rain, sometimes cold, sometimes way too hot and I was pouring sweat uh, and none of them felt like particularly amazing sessions, but they kind of compounded and built upon each other and gave me the opportunity to have, you know, days where I hit rep PRs and stuff like that. So um yeah I'm al- I'm always um a little skeptical of um the uh there there's there's some guys that I would follow and they you know they they rate their sessions out of 10 and mm. it seems to be like the last year all of their sessions have just been 10s out of 10s um I'm like that's fantastic really good you have it queued in but what happens on a day that you have a 7 you know like is that just like the worst day that you have been in the last while, you know, yeah. are you that, are you that optimized that everything is a 10 out of 10? And um, because again, you, you yourself, there's those sessions where you go in, you tick a box, you know, you, you're just there and you run through the movements, you run through the weights, nothing particularly feels amazing. Nothing particularly feels terrible. Um, but I wouldn't jot that down as a 10 out of 10 session. Yeah. Um, you can still give 10 out of 10 effort, but there's just some things, whether it be stress um, from from external things outside of your training, just life in general, fatigue from life in general, um, that are going to play into your training session. And um, I, I I had to punch that in there because in case anybody who might be listening who's seen uh, people constantly just post up 10 out of 10 training session or, you know, oh, best training session ever, it's likely that they're just, you know, doing it for the old social media as people do um i i can uh, i can be here and say that from my own experience in a year 10 out of 10 sessions meaning that i just feel fantastic you know just absolutely everything um probably probably in single digits those yeah. 10 out of 10 sessions um everything you do you'll probably float around seven seven eight mm-hmm. a lot of the time um but those fantastic sessions oh uh, I, I don't see them being like 52 a year <laughs> no no and oftentimes kind of unexpected i would say for me yeah anyway, like 
they don't happen after days where I've had like four hours of sleep. Yeah. But like, mm. not necessarily at times when like I've had amazing sleeps or I've, I've eaten really well that day or I'm training my usual training time or whatever. Mm. Um, I also think with that RPE thing of rating your sessions, I find there's a difference between sessions where I perform well and sessions where I just feel really good. And obviously course, yeah. if those sync up, they'd be a 10 out of 10, but mm. I'm sure everybody who's been training long enough has had that experience of coming into the gym hungover or maybe starting to get a cold or something like that. And actually have like yep. a fucking great session where they hit PVs and you feel like crap, but like in terms of like the actual mathematics of what you've done, you've, you've quite drastically improved your performance regardless of how you felt. Um, and then I've had days, again, everybody's also had these where you come in and you feel a million books and it's just not there for whatever reason in terms of your performance. Um, I also think the RPE thing is, I think it suits a certain kind of person more so than others. Um, I'm the kind of person who very easily psychs myself out with overcomplicating things or overthinking things. Mm. Uh, that's why like a lot of the content that I put out, I try to make things as simple as possible. Um, and I, I try to not disregard, but like put into perspective a lot of the questions that people ask in terms of where they fit in the grander scheme of just getting into the gym, training, trying to keep on sticking to key principles like specificity and progressive overload, eating well, sleeping well, etc. I personally haven't had a lot of experience with trying to use RP in the past. I don't think that it suits me. Um, I think that I'm the kind of person who will tend to almost use it as an out um, on, on hard sets that, you know, I've done sets loads of times where if I was going to put it down as an RPE, I'd say yeah, it felt like an eighth or a nine out of 10. And then for my final set, I'll decide to do an AMRAP. And uh, I end up, let's say I was, I don't know, doing sets of five and I was rating it as an RPE eighth. So really it should be a seven rep max. I'll do an AMRAP mm -hmm. and then I might get 10 reps, 11 reps. Um, uh, and that just kind of goes to show how good I think I am at rating RP. I hear a lot yeah. of people say that, like, if you're experienced enough, you can use this. But, like, I'm not setting national records or anything, but I've been training for nearly 12 years now and doing pretty dedicated strength training for at least five. If that's the bar for what you need to do for RPE to be effective, then it I just don't see it very applicable to 90% plus of people who are actually doing strength training. Yeah. Like I, when it comes to the strength training or like, if we were just, if I was handing out a general program to someone, um, I tend to use, um, like say like if they're looking for like an intensity or a level to go for, um, of course, I try and explain rep ranges first. And, you know, if I give someone a rep range of eight to 12 for three sets, okay. Um, I'm like, yeah. So that first set, use a weight that's tough enough for maybe 12, 11 reps. Then same way should be around maybe 10 reps for the second set. And then eight or nine for the third set. Okay. If you get 12, 12, 12, up the way for next week. Okay. That's the most basic way I can um, say to someone, there's what progression is. There's what, you know, overloaded and things like that. 
Um, if they look for a little bit more, or if they're uh, specifically if it's it's if it's cardio based, which you get a lot of as well, um, I tend to use. Um, I, I do lean on the, the RPE, but I would never say RPE like six, seven, because it means nothing to most people. Um, when you say like rate of perceived ex- uh, exertion, they're like, what? Um, but if you say, oh, go at a pace that it's tough, but you're able to hold a conversation, that clicks with them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or if they're, you know, oh, uh, you're able to get two or three words out uh, and then you're having to catch your breath again or something like that. Mm-hmm. And again, there'll be a little bit of explaining probably to do with like, oh, so is that at a run and stuff like that? It's like, oh, but look, if you're able to run and keep a conversation, yeah, go with that, go with that pace. That's fine. But, you know, I go out, I go at a brisk walk um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I can, I can hold a, a, a semi-decent conversation um at, at the best of times yeah. um and i again like that i use that in this, the same amount in my training rps and those kind of scales is is one of the lesser used things that i would use in my training and more so if i'm recording my training i look at the quality of the reps i yeah. look at how fast the reps move that gives me a better indicator because there's some like you're saying there's some days where everything just feels so heavy and you know you feel shy and you you know you still get the same reps done but you're not sure and then you go and check the video and it's flying up it's flying up down up down up down and you're like grand so this is really all in my head here that i think i'm doing like five seconds uh rdls here and it turns out that i'm just yeah i'm standing up with it when it comes to the video um and it's it, it again the benefit of of uh somebody else having a having a coach there and a second pair of eyes and being like ah you're grand don't worry about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i i think um i know a lot of people are very very interested in using different types of technology for training whether that's uh, velocity based stuff and i can mm. probably I, i'd see that as being more more useful than rpe because you're getting actual numbers fed back to you that you can base off you know you can come up with some nice charts about like what speed you typically move 70% at 80% at whatever. Mm. Um, and there's all other types of stuff, heart rate monitors and everything. I, I kind of, and this is just my personal opinion. I think most of those things rarely end up telling you something that you couldn't already have figured out for yourself. Um, I've used all of these different devices before in different settings, but usually S and C settings. Because uh, that's, you know, uh, people like to use technology with athletes and trying to be on the cutting edge of research and everything. But I've never, like, maybe with a few exceptions, um, and then you would almost wonder if it was like a, a, a technical fault of the device or something. I can rarely ever remember watching somebody do a rep and being surprised with the number that was fed back to me uh, mm. on a piece of technology or something like that. And for my own training, um, that would be the same. I've used things like uh, velocity-based training uh, apps and linear transducers and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, if it was a real, like, true grinder rep where I was going to miss it, I kind of knew myself. And I think a lot of this stuff can kind of just be brought back to basic principles, like don't train to failure. Don't don't push so hard on a set that your form starts going to crap. Um, and I definitely try to teach people um 
like to, to to learn like the limits of of what they can do and then figure out what it feels like to start approaching failure so when mm. people get past a certain point uh with beginner training and, and they're starting to get really consistent with their technique um i'll start having them try things like amrap sets and i'll stop them when i can see that they're starting to approach that nth degree that's maybe a rep or two from failure mm. but they can start to feel themselves then like what it feels like to push hard because you kind of have to start pushing harder to to get that progressive overload as you go on but for me um i mean look i still use a pen and paper training log for my own training so exact same i'm i'm very old man style when it comes to, to most of training i try to keep a lot of us based in in reality and i'm looking at stuff with my eyes but i can see some people probably love using RPE. They love using different little gadgets and stuff like that, and it aids them in their training. But uh, for me, it's always kind of been a hindrance. And I could see myself using like one of those readiness apps, and it tells me that I've gotten terrible sleep, which I know, and it tells me that I'm at mm. like a five out of ten readiness. And then I go in and I, I unintentionally uh, have a crap training session because I, I push um, with less intensity than I should have. Yeah, and and. I, I think they'll exist in uh, largely in an SNC environment for the sake of just, again, um, for those that might not know, strength and conditioning, it sounds like it's all lifting weights and everything like that. It's just an abhorrent amount of data collection um, and, and having specific numbers. And then uh, from there, you know, you do your maybe 20% coaching, 30% coaching. Um, but it, a lot of it is just, yeah, let's see what the data says. Let's see what the numbers say. You know, this person lifted X amount um, today in today's training session, but they did uh, Y amount last week on that session. What are the factors change between now and You spend time, so much time on this, but you could have just asked the athlete themselves and then they were like, Oh, it's just, I was just pretty tired that day. I didn't get much sleep, but yeah. In SNC environments, they'll have, you know, heart rate, heart rate variability, uh, sleep, sleep readiness, like the whole gambit. And then you'll be looking at velocity training then as well. Um, and, you know, in, in higher environments, they might do um, jump mat readiness tests before training, things like that. Um, so all that exists and it's great. It keeps it all standardized and not subjective. Um, which I guess in an SNC environment, in a in a high performance environment, is maybe what you want. But I think it again, it can get glamorized at um, all levels to be like, you know, there's no there's no reason why I need to do a readiness test before I go in and do my bodybuilding style training. Um, there's no. You're gonna do it anyway. Yeah, I'm gonna do it anyway. Like I'm going, I'm gonna figure out what my first set. Oh, okay. It's not it's not as as strong as i thought it was today that's that's yeah. fine uh let's figure it out and like i i don't need to be relying on different rings and watches and things like that to tell me right this is this is where i am today and i've never i i i, I again i can't say anything bad about any of these things i i haven't tried the whole the the whole match of them singular chest strap um polar h10 or something like that 
and I use it um, on and off. I used to use it quite regularly for uh, strength training. Yeah, and, and it was just... I can see, I can 100% see a utility for stuff like that because that gives you feedback about if you're training in specific heart zones and stuff like that. Like yeah. That, that yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. So I I, I have a, ch- uh, a ch- uh, the chest strap and part of it was, again, like within those particular zones. Um, but what I found most beneficial was that I was just keeping a standardized intensity um, number base for mm. using using the chest straps. So if I did a leg session one week and I did a leg session the other week, like I was able to look at it. I was like, okay, that's within X amount of percentage between the weeks. It's like, that's okay. But if you're looking at it in depth enough to be like, I burned 20 more calories last week, what happened? It's like, well, you know, that's, that's a... It's yeah, exactly. It's, just, yeah. it's such a small number. It's like this conversation that we're having now has probably had 20 calories extra burned um, in my in my hour. You're eating into my macros, man. Yeah, exactly. You know, this this is I'm going to have to account for this now later on uh, because I'm bulking. Um, but like it's there when you're taking it, I'll always take these measures with a grain of salt. Um, yeah. And they're, they're highly again, they should be individualized to yourself. Um, and they can only be really taken into account, like even like um, those in-body scans, like um, what are they, uh, bioelectrical uh, impedance machines. Yeah. Um, they're grand. They're the nice piece of kit. They give, they give you out whatever, but you have to use them at least like eight nine times realistically um, over the course of many weeks and months to yeah. get like a pretty solid picture because a one-off measure is is grand okay you'll get an idea but it's like weighing yourself once you could have just had a pretty poor night and now your weight is up and if you don't weigh yourself for another three weeks um you're not going to see if you actually declined uh, increase or anything like that um and and that's the way with any of these measures is that it's something to use for a long period of time so you get a lot of a lot of data points or um measurements but it shouldn't dictate or like restrict you in what you do all that much mm-hmm. um if you feel okay work away yeah definitely um you, you don't want you know minor little tools that can add a few percents to your game to start distracting from the bigger picture yeah get in train stay specific use overloads it's like you it's like you were saying over over lockdown people had you know mixed amount of equipment and there would have been a lot of people who were just like oh i don't have 200 kilos worth of plates on an olympic barbell what's the point in training uh health um just uh, <laughs> you know um there's there's uh, <laughs> there's there's plenty of reasons to still to still train um uh, and like like that just because you don't have all the equipment it's it's like starting um i i get awful like um into my head sometimes i'm like oh, i don't have this that the other to like properly put out content or grow my business or whatever and it's like hold on a second like four years ago you were saying the exact same thing and now you have all those things that you said four years ago but now you just want more and i guess in part that might be the human nature of just kind of wanting like a little bit greedy, like wanting more and more stuff um, to just yeah, sit dormantly there. On Joe Rogan with that uh, microphone setup you've got there. I, I I know. Yeah. I have, I have all this stuff here and yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't have enough. I don't have enough things, you know, you need a new laptop or yeah, it's, it's, you just get your, your, in your head and like that with training, like 
for the first part of lockdown, I trained with two 10 kilo plates and an old barbell that I bought from a, yeah. uh, the gym that I closed down that I was never actually planning to use ever. It was just like a memento. Um, and, and then I pumped far too much money into buying uh, gym equipment, I think, as as everybody did. Um, and like that's that's what it should be at the end of the day. Like, you know, we talk a big game in terms of like, you know, developing your fitness levels and strength and conditioning and and everything like that train for your health like any sort of training whether it be just body weight calisthenics um just buy one kettlebell i know one guy um fantastic uh, his name is slipping me um but at the start of lockdown i think he bought a 16 kilo dumbbell uh, or a kettlebell and that's what he used for his training then and entirely and uh, over lockdown and he kept in shape fantastically you know like there's plenty of things you can do with just a singular piece of equipment or um, no equipment, or no equipment. The only, yeah the only thing that i really struggled with um was hinging deadlifting type exercises yeah um and even then i just did a shitload of reverse hypers off a park bench and um yeah i wasn't pulling the exact same numbers when i came back but you know it, it only took a little while to start getting back up there um, yeah, I, all all the training over over lockdown, over those those heavy uh, couple of lockdowns uh, for for the netball um, was all bodyweight exercises mm-hmm. um, or or minimal equipment, things that they could pull from around the house, um, and they a lot of them were shocked that when they returned to the gym that they were in like a certain percentage of their their previous numbers, yeah. and I just said to them, I was like, look, you know, strength strength is annoying to gain sometimes, but it sticks around. Um, it, and it sticks around for for a substantial uh, long time. So, you know, if you're coming back from lockdown and you've just had, uh, you've just been continuously giving your your body that stimulus and and bringing it again, like you were saying, close enough to failure that when you return to a bench press or a squat, there's still going to be strength there. It's not like the muscles have just went, oh my god, a barbell. Yeah. How how awful. Uh, the muscles don't know the difference between a barbell, a dumbbell, a, a band. They just recognize resistance. Yeah. And that's all you have to feed them. Uh, and that resistance, that stimulus. And like a, an old adage that I really like is strong is strong. So if you get yep. really strong on an exercise, as long as it's not like a meaningless exercise, like balancing on one leg on a BOSU ball and holding a kettlebell here, like if you get strong on a basic compound uh, strength exercise that is always going to have some degree of transfer and carry over to another type of you know compound exercise whatever so I was really lucky that I had access to a good bit of equipment I managed to get a pair of rings uh, that was one of the last ones that D8 was selling um, I had a weight vest that went up to 30 kilos and I was able to get a kettlebell and I think a dumbbell as well from uh, the, the gym that I was working at the time one thing I was saying to people was like, look, you know, if you can get up to the point where you can do body weight dips off these rings um, fairly comfortably, like you're going to have a good bench press within a few weeks of returning to the gym. Like, you know, dips are a hard exercise to do. Like if you yeah. could do 20 body weight dips in a row, uh, weighing like what we weigh, anything over 90 kilos like you've got a strong upper body and that's going to transfer over to other stuff um 
so and and the exact same thing exists for for pull-ups as well like if you're doing if you're doing pull-ups uh bodyweight pull-ups and you're getting six seven eight reps um there's definitely going to be transference then to like just like a bent over row you know like it's 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 all it's all the same like you know you come back you have to do in chin-ups like your biceps all of a sudden haven't fallen off now when they're going to touch a dumbbell like they've been pulling they've been pulling your body weight up and uh like that i i see you uh, on your social you've been given the the old pistol squats a hard time um over (laughs) over the last one certain context Oh, oh, I, 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 I did. I, 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 I was going to pray for squats quite a bit in uh, yeah. the first couple of lockdowns, but you know, because I didn't have access to stuff that I would have yeah. to use, you know, but it, and I, that's the thing. Like it's, um, I, I always, I, I'll use the example and I'll kind of, it'll kind of, um, preface what it, where we're going. I was starting a class the other day and somebody said like, are we going, we're not going to do like jumping jacks and burpees. This is a circle class. And I was like, why would we do those things when we have thousands of euro of equipment readily available here that could provide a lot more stimulus and a, a lot, a, you know, I can lock you in an assault bike is fairly, fairly hard to feck up, but a burpee for most people is an impossible task. So like I'd much rather just try on the salt bike for thirty seconds than give you thirty seconds of burpees, you know. Um, I very rarely give anyone burpees, but um, especially myself. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, but so when when we look at that, like yes, you have to make what you have work best. Like the pistol squat is not not the most ideal exercise in the world um, to to implement into any program unless you want to get specifically good at the pistol squat um exactly. but if you're limit if you're limited on equipment and are looking for something to stimulate the lower body um and body weight like regular body weight squats you're finding yourself having to do 50 before like you even start to get near fatigued <clears throat> well yeah try loading up on the one side there or you know yeah. and and see how far you can get especially because a, a pistol squat is, is more resistance on the leg than doing a body weight uh, split squat, you know? So that's, the, yeah. that's what I was using it for. And I was using it with people who had got to the point where if they were doing split squats, we were talking like 15, 20, then 25 reps. When you start, once you start getting past like that 25, 30 range, not only is, is there research to indicate that it's probably not going to be the best for hypertrophy, but like, it's also just bleak. Like who the hell wants yep. to do 30 plus split squats and then have to go to your next leg. It's taking like two minutes just to do one set. So um, now there's utility for every exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, the pistol squat thing is more about like claims people make about, Oh yeah, be able to do a certain exercise to be pain-free or to be able to, to move to a certain standard or be strong to a certain standard. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know, again, I think that's, that's um, a lot of gatekeeping on, on the, the influencer side of things early on as well. And it's a lot of and, some... and I think it's also uh, just like um, an underhanded marketing tactic of like, yeah. here's a problem that doesn't exist. And here's how yeah. I can solve you the solution to that problem. Yeah. Here's an eight week program to fix your, yeah. pi- oh, you can't do a pistol squat. Here's this eight week program to get you to do one pistol squat. Um, yeah. Send me that money. And I'll get you to do one in like two days. Um, <laughs> but what, a, what, a, like that it's it's 
a fantastic model um financially if you again like if you have no ethics or morals of just be like i've created a problem here's the solution and uh, you, you see it crop up in in exercise terms all the time of like you can't specifically do this or you do this during a particular exercise um for for girls um for women it, it, they got a rough old time with the likes of like hip dips um uh, being a so a hip dip is like um do you know the way the way the glute is shaped like if you if you watch any professional bodybuilding show it's like that butterfly shape Right. So the the inner part of that would be a, a hip dip quote, you know, it's anatomically correct. Okay. And there was a big push then for a while on social media of like, here's exercises to fix your hip dip. Basically, I don't know what they were trying to, to fix your set it to, to fix your hip dip to okay. grow that particular area of the glute. So oh, you you're you're talking a, about like that concave part of the glute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, when it comes in so like if you're looking a, a healthy pair of glutes looks like a butterfly when it's right. when it's squeezed yeah. and the idea was was sold that you can you can train your your glutes that they're just round that they're they are that okay, peach yeah. um which is anatomically well, impossible fried chicken exactly <laughs> <laughs> so so you that that's just one example then like on the male side of things it's like I am um, how to shape your abs a different way or how to like turn yeah, your bicep, yeah. uh, how to grow your bicep peak. And these are all things that are determined the second you're pretty much burnt, born or, or conceived, you know, they're, they're hereditary, they're genetic. Um, unless you've suffered an injury or something like that for particular, um, when it comes to the bicep or something, but yeah. like there's a massive um, push for here's the problem. I have the solution. And there's, at the at the end of the day, it's um when it comes to any training, whether it's look you're looking to look good, get stronger, or anything like that, um, it comes back to that. You can only give your hundred percent if you stick to the fundamentals. You give a hundred percent to the fundamentals, you'll get the results that your body's able to give. Yeah. Um, and and no special order or routine of exercises will will change that. Unless I I again I could be speaking out of. No, uh, I, I totally agree with that. Definitely. Yeah, like o- unless again you were a Russian in the early '80s, um, they they had a lot of secrets um about how to be really effective Olympic weightlifters and athletes, um, but they're not um they weren't training secrets per se, um, and, and still going on today. So unless unless you're unless you're getting some of those uh those supplements. Yeah, um, there's there's nothing different going to change. But even at that, like I, I think that's even even things that aren't as crazy as trying to like change the the literal shape of your muscles. I think like a huge amount of like I got a lot of guys um, who initially come to me asking like you know how can I get you know bigger bigger pecs for example or bigger triceps or whatever and. Um, of course, absolutely everybody can grow a certain muscle group by putting more work into it. But I think sometimes there's an implication of like, how can I look like this person that I've seen on on social media or whatever, who has particularly large muscle group X. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can grow your chest 
but expecting it to look like somebody who maybe has a genetic predisposition regardless of whether they're using drugs or not or whatever it's probably it's probably not realistic and i'm probably gonna leave you a little bit disappointed like for example for me the muscles that grow very easily for me would be like my traps like i i could count the number of shrugs that i've done in the last five years probably on two hands i just don't do them i don't train my traps directly and yet i can do muscles that are indirectly using them in an isometric like a deadlift um and they just grow because they, they just want to they just like to grow um same for my glutes don't do any hip bridges don't do any cable kickback exercises literally just do squats and deadlifts and my glutes grow um that's all and, you need what'd you say <laughs> i said that's all you need that's all you need yeah, yeah all, a heavy and squat and a heavy what it leads me to believe that like you know first and foremost is you're getting stronger on major exercises that use these muscles you can of course get a little bit more growth by adding in some more volume with some smaller exercises but expecting them to become the feature of your physique because you added in a little bit more volume just isn't realistic to me because mm. it doesn't make sense how that could happen when there's you're comparing yourself then to a guy who can come into the gym and just do bench press and his arms are gigantic there was a guy i went to mm. went to a powerlifting meet and the guy who won uh the the open category for bench uh he was a freak he benched like i think he benched close to 200 kilos or something like that or a body weight of 90 something and his arms were fucking massive like they were they were pretty much the width of my quads and i remember a few of us were talking to him in the back and we were like your arms are gigantic like you must do a shitload of curls and push downs and stuff and he was like nope i, I literally just do the, <laughs> i literally just squat bench and deadlift and this is what my arms are like and you know even for him i would imagine like his arms were so big that i couldn't feasibly believe that he could have added a significant amount more size to them um just by adding in some some curls mm. and extensions like they probably would have got bigger but like he had the majority of the muscle he was going to get in his body at that point and i think that people also need to realize that getting stronger across your whole body you probably have a pretty good idea of what your physique is going to look like already and you're going to have strong points and weak points depending on how much that matters to you if you're into bodybuilding or whatever mm. um but expecting to see radical changes just based on exercise selection i think is unlikely in my opinion Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And I like, um, I guess probably probably finish up here soon uh, to get yeah, to yeah. get to work. But um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll 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 finish on this one. Um, there was a guy, uh, and I was bringing through his program recently enough, and um, just demo a couple of exercises and like that. He turned around to me and said, "He said, Jesus, he said your legs are, you know, they're fairly big. Like, what do you do for the legs and stuff like that?" I said. And so the exact same stuff that you're going to do here, except I just happen to be very, uh, I wouldn't say poor, but my sprinting when I was younger, when I was playing sport, um, I buried my feet into the ground and I used to train a lot. Mm. And I just had, when I was 14, like upper body, pretty much non-existent skinny arms but i had decent developed legs before i even touched the weight or trained and they've always continued just to be 
my strong point, my strong area. I've never directly trained my glutes. I deadlift, I squat, I do a hip hinge uh, or the else. Um, and the amount of times um, there has been comments been made on my ass um, is is ludicrous. Um, and I and I said, yeah, look, it's I don't I don't bug around with any of these curtsy squats or you know anything like that. I'll I'll squat, I'll deadlift and ordeal and uh, maybe some glue ham raise or something like that. Yeah. But I, as I said, like you just train heavy and you know again go at it as best you can, and then your body pretty much is is going to grow where it grows or decides what it's going to develop. Um, we can only influence on it so much um but your body is going to do what your body's designed to do yeah and, and like if your hip is extending under load and progressively heavier loads your glutes are going to get bigger so yeah that makes a lot of sense all right i won't take any more of your time um i'm actually oh, appreciate a bit of time pressure um we got through a load of topics there so um thanks for your Thank time you for enjoy and enjoy picking out the the title for this one <laughs> ah, i'm just gonna call it a ramble sell it what it is um <laughs> boss yeah so uh you are is it uh galgi coaching on instagram yeah or is it uh it's it's just it's just my name it's just connor galgi spelled with one n and galgi is g-a-l-g-e-y um i'm very good at this whole marketing thing uh, yeah, no, they, if you ever meet anybody called Galgi, they're related to me somehow. Um, and there's only one other Connor Galgi in the world. He's in us, I think it's New Zealand or Australia. So I'm not him. I'm the one that's in Ireland. Um, so he doesn't get into personal training. Yeah, hopefully I'll be very competitive marketing then. Um, but yeah, no, that's it. Um, give me give me a shout um, if you want any half-decent training done in the Midlands. Um, or likewise, our team that are looking for a bit of crack. Yeah. and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get in touch but uh, no it's always fantastic to, to be on and have a conversation like that I, I i enjoy talking all thing exercise and and uh and sport and the the mental side of things anyway so it's always good to have a bit of a bit of a chat and conversation brilliant well thank you very much for coming on man and uh we will do it again sometime soon and uh yeah until then i'll talk to you on the instagrams lovely Talk to you soon. And see you, man.